You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Eternal God, maker of heaven and earth, we give you thanks that we can be called your children, that we can worship you in this place and at every place we find ourselves. Father, may we be your people everywhere we are. And today, Father, as we dig deeply into your word, as we open up our hearts and lay our souls bare, we pray that your word will come in power, with full conviction, with your Holy Spirit. This is our prayer through Jesus who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever. Amen. What an interesting week. I'm not going to go through it. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you uh, anxious? You are in the right place. Whether you're here in this place or watching us online, you're in the right place. This is the sermon for you as we dig into Matthew chapter 10. Well, I've got to ask you something personal on the front end. In fact, I'm going to invite you to uh, even close your eyes. So people online, close your eyes. Here's the personal question I'm going to ask you. Everybody, close your eyes. Come on now. I'm seeing you online. You're not closing your eyes. Shut your eyes. (laughs) Okay, we've got our eyes closed. Are you on social media? So Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Discord, who knows, whatever. So just raise your hand. Don't look around. Okay. Okay, put your hand. No peeking online. Don't look. All right, you can put your hands down. Now, one of the things about social media, you can open up your eyes now. Man, that's good. That's a good, you're following instructions well. (laughs) One of the things about social media is, and this is really gets more at the personal question that I want to ask you, because I'm not going to make you answer this one. One of the things about social media is followers. I want you to think right now in your mind, those of you that raised your hand, how many followers do you have? Now some of you say, oh, I don't pay attention to that. But I want you to just think about that, the number of followers that you might have. Now for those of you that are not on social media, This sometimes is a level of value, a worth, where we look and we see how many followers do I have. It's an indication of maybe how many friends, who might like me, and it's easy to get caught up in that. Well, tonight, if you were to have something happen, if you were to need to call someone in the middle of the night, and you've got that number in your mind of followers online, how many of them would you call here on Albuquerque, here across the country? Who would be those go-to people? That number is certainly, certainly much smaller. Well, today, today at First Christian, we first follow Jesus, right? Can we say follow Jesus together? Follow Jesus. 
That is first what we are about, that is what we do. And we have been looking and, and following Jesus and looking at how sandwiched between Mark 4.23 and sandwiched between or Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35 are Jesus' words, Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus' deeds, some of the healings that he did. And we get these summaries about what Jesus is about and what he is doing. Now, what I hope you remember over these last three weeks is something we talked about last week, is a prayer that Jesus offered about praying for laborers. Do you remember this? Not praying for a harvest, but praying for laborers to go into the harvest. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Imagine yourself sitting there like we were, uh, dressed up, maybe like a disciple would, in some kind of weird gown, sandals, staff, and we're nodding along. Yes, Jesus, we are praying for laborers. Well, what happens next is that Jesus hands over his words, he hands over his deeds to his disciples. And he looks at them and he summons them. Summons 12 who are already followers, they're already disciples, to come. And it's one of those moments where you look around and you say, who, me? Are you summoning me, Jesus? Well, this is one of the questions that's dropped, right? In our interesting sermon series called Drop the Question. We're looking at these questions that don't get asked. They don't look around like we tend to do when we're summoned to say, hey, I need someone to clean the bathroom. Who? Me? Clean the bathroom? You just insert whatever task might be difficult for you. It's not one where they're looking around. They are coming and being summoned to Jesus. Now, they're already learners. They're already learning what it's like to be with Jesus, to be in the presence of Jesus. But something happens here in this passage that's a little new. In this process of learning what it is to be with Jesus, he gives them authority. He gives them authority over unclean spirits. In fact, if you look at the, some, several of the verses, in, in verse 1, there is authority given over the ability to cast out unclean spirits, to cure every disease and sickness. If you drop down to verse 8, not only is it about casting and curing, but it also adds in there raising people from the dead and cleansing them from leprosy. This is some powerful authority that is being given to this group of people. And he adds on the ability to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, that God's power and God's authority have arrived and are available to everyone. And finally, to send them out, to go. Specifically in this moment, here in chapter 10 of Matthew, to the lost sheep of Israel. But to go out, to preach. We know Jesus breaks the rules and teaches and preaches to Samaritans and non-Jews, but here he's preaching to the lost sheep. Well, you know, I, I hear these words from Jesus, and it can be difficult. Especially when we look and we think, this really doesn't fit to us, does it? That we're supposed to cast out unclean spirits? I mean, what are we talking about here? 
An unclean spirit is something that is hostile to or in rebellion against God. Well, that starts to make a little more sense. If you think about your life and people that you come in contact with, or even your own life, there are times when you are rebellious to the working of God. You're hostile to. And this can happen mentally, it can happen emotionally, even physically, when we are hostile to the working of God in our lives. Well, that, that kind of helps me. I don't know if it does for you as a modern reader to say, all right, this is, this is something about pushing evil away. Well, here in this moment, I think it's important for us to really carefully define what we're talking about by a follower or a disciple. This word that shows up 265 times in the New Testament, that's a lot more times than the word Christian shows up. The word disciple, as you may know, is a learner. This is a follower. This is someone who's learning from someone how to do something, how to be a certain way. Perhaps the best picture for us is that of an apprentice, where you're learning from someone else a skill or an aptitude or some way of living that improves your own life. And maybe that comes in form of information. Maybe it comes as a skill or a method, a way of doing things. But we're learning from someone how to be a nurse, how to be a plumber or an electrician, how to be a beautician where you watch and you carefully observe what they do. You come alongside them, side by side. You know, in today's world, I don't know about you, but I sometimes apprentice myself to YouTube. Whenever I have to fix something or build a bench or fix a shelf or do some kind of plumbing thing, I'm going to get on YouTube. I'm going to find, it usually takes some hunting to find one that's pretty decent, to apprentice me and guide me into a skill that I don't have as much skill as I want, and I need a little bit more information. If you look down in verse 24, we get one more indication of what disciple looks like. A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. Verse 25, it is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher. If you want to look at what a good definition of what a disciple is, here it is given to us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 25, to be like the teacher. That's true of a pianist. It's true of an accountant. We want to reach the level of the one who is teaching us how to fix the car or how to build the bench. Now, there's a different kind of follower that I hinted at on the front end with social media. Whenever you're talking about Instagram or Face Chat or all of those social media things, a follower is something altogether different. You are following someone that you might just have interest in. Maybe it's a, a voyeuristic interest in their life. Maybe they're famous and they don't know you. Or maybe there's someone very close to you and they do know you. Now, there's something about having all these people that we follow where you kind of get in these circles, these loops, where you follow someone hoping they will follow you. And it's this circle where we're kind of all chasing one another's backsides 
trying to follow those that are following us. And it's really easy to get caught up in numbers and assessment of who we are by how many people might follow us. Now, I'm not trying to be down on social media at all. I'm pointing out something, shedding some light on something about how it's constructed, kind of trying to illuminate it for us, that we can be wrapped up in numbers of likes or loves or comments or shares or retweets that somehow give us value. But a follower, at least the kind we're talking about when we're following Jesus, is someone who directs their mind and their life towards something else. Yes, it's data, but a lot of times it's about learning an ability, a skill, where you are taking on a specific practice. It's more than a swipe, it's more than a click. Well, as we've been looking at a mission statement of following Jesus, we, we have talked about a number of things, like this mission statement helping us know what we do. This is what we're about helps us know who we serve, that we're serving Jesus and not a bunch of customers. Helps us even to know how to do it with those words, be, do, say, and go. Well, today, today what I want us to do is really hone in on the goal, where this is headed. If you're following Jesus, what is the intended outcome of following Jesus? That seems like a fair thing to ask, right? Where is it going to get us? To follow Jesus. Whenever you follow Jesus, and whenever you spend your days hanging around Jesus, doing the things Jesus did, saying the things Jesus said, not only being everywhere present with Jesus, but going off into new places with Jesus, the outcome, the intent, is that we will become like Jesus. That's the goal. The imitation of Christ, that if we hang around Jesus long enough, we begin to be transformed. Now, in my case, in very incremental ways. But transformed, surely nonetheless, step by step by step, into becoming more like Jesus Christ. That is the outcome that we're shooting for. That's the intent that we're aiming for. Whenever we follow Jesus, this is what we want. For him to inform our lives. For him to enhance our way of interacting with other people. Now, a lot of times we believe that Jesus shows us God. But we don't often believe that Jesus is actually giving us the life of God. There is some really significant promise in here that I think is helpful, especially in today's world, when we might be worried about who we're connected with, uncertain about who our friends and followers are, and we wonder what it is like to be close to God. Whenever Jesus comes, he brings within arm's reach the very kingdom and reign of God. Now, for some of us, that might be intimidating to think that Jesus wants to dwell in us and that our goal is somehow to become like Jesus, that could be very intimidating. But God doesn't leave us bankrupt and alone. God comes and indwells us in the Holy Spirit to make this happen. God partners with us in this journey. 
So this isn't about you know, beating our Bibles. This isn't about uh, packing pews. And really, this is even something that no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, it stretches you. It stretches you further and deeper to become like Jesus Christ. We tend to keep Jesus at a pretty safe distance, don't we? Let's just leave Jesus here at the church. That's where Jesus is. And there's a part of Jesus that we just can't quite connect with because there's all this talk about staffs and sandals and tunics. I mean, what is a tunic? Does anybody wear a tunic? There's all this stuff about Jesus that feels very distant and very far away. And perhaps that's the way we like it. Because if we welcome Jesus in, he's going to change us. There's some great promises here in this passage. Promises that we didn't even read in chapter 10. Like in verse 32. I want you to pay close attention to these. Verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, me being Jesus, I will acknowledge them before God. Let that soak in. Jesus is the kind of friend that if you will speak up for Jesus, Jesus will speak up for you before God. Wow. There is an intimate relationship going on. Well, there's another promise. In fact, this chapter is full of them. Some scary stuff, but some good promises too. In verse 40, if you look down there, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And not just me, but the one who sent me. Now we've got to work on those pronouns. So whoever welcomes you welcomes Jesus. And not just Jesus, but God. The one who sent Jesus. Now that's overpowering to me. What a promise that we could be in that kind of relationship of acknowledging God before others and knowing that Jesus is acknowledging us before God. And even those people that we come in contact with, they are touching in some small way Jesus and God. That's an amazing promise, folks. That's an intimidating one. But what a blessing that Jesus would take us as learners. He doesn't have to take us as experts or graduates or you know, certificated people. He takes us as we are as learners, and uses us. To me, that helps, because I'm not all the way there yet. Just to give you a sense of this, an example of this process that we're in, I'll tell you now something I hinted at a few weeks ago. A difference between teaching and preaching. Now, honestly, in my practical life, I don't like to make a difference between teaching and preaching. In fact, even this sermon today and the last three sermons have been more teaching sermons than preaching sermons. Heavy on some content. And so, and you know, another reason I don't like to separate teaching and preaching is because I want them to be consistent. I want the words to be the same. I want it to line up. In the same way I want my life to line up with the words that I'm saying. But in the Gospels, there is a difference. There is an interesting difference. Here, did you notice that Jesus gives them authority over unclean spirit and he gives them the ability to preach 
the good news of the kingdom of heaven. He doesn't give them the ability to teach. Now again, that's in this moment. Preaching is a set content of announcing the reign of God, the kingdom of God. Teaching in the Gospels is reserved for Jesus because Jesus is the master teacher. Now, isn't that weird? He gives them authority over evil, but not to teach just yet. That'll come later. There is one exception. I spent a lot of time looking through. There's one exception in Mark chapter 30 where Jesus is doing the same thing. He's sending disciples out to preach and to cure. But when they come back, he tells them that the disciples tell him all that they did and all that they taught. That's the only place. And it is also the only place where they're mentioned as apostles in the Gospel of Mark. All right, now this is a limitation that goes away. It doesn't apply to us in the same way. I'm bringing it out not as a trivia question of what's the difference between teaching and preaching. That doesn't help. In, in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, that's where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make followers of me, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always even until the end of the age. It's saved until after they've spent three years learning from Jesus. Do you see that? Do you see that intentional progression where Jesus takes us as we are as learners? Now, I don't know if I've convinced you. I still kind of see in your eyes a lot of, well, who me? Or, well, this doesn't apply to me because... Well, this is the disciples, the 12 disciples, no less, the apostles. Well, brothers and sisters, this commission is for us. This is a training manual. It shows us what it is like to be a follower of Jesus. It is not something that we can look around and say, is this about me? No, it is about us. In fact, it's not meant to be a burden. If you're weary, if you're tired... If you're heavy laden, in the very next chapter, Jesus talks about this. Chapter 11, verse 28. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle. Right? He says it's an easy yoke. It's not meant to be hard. Jesus is doing the heavy lifting. We are taking on Jesus and learning from him. Wow. I mean, this is a commission that's for all of us. If we will be with Jesus, if we will be present with Jesus, and going with Jesus wherever He goes, sandwich in the middle is the doing and the saying. The copying of the actions of Jesus, copying the words of Jesus, being able to announce the kingdom of God with our words, and announce the actions of God with our actions. Well, it's seemed like a pretty sedate sermon so far, right? Are you ready for shock? Do you want me to leave you with something to get you thinking? I'm going to have to invite you to put your seatbelts on wherever you're at. Prepare yourself from turbulence. This is a moment, and I'm going to tell the folks online too, because I don't know where you are or when you're listening to this. Put your seatbelts on. 
get the oxygen ready, okay? There's a lot of talk right now about our Christian nation, about making a Christian nation. Now buckle yourselves and keep listening. Jesus did not come to make a Christian nation. Jesus did not come to make a Christian business. Jesus didn't come to make a Christian university. Are you still there? Have you got the oxygen mask on yet? Now, it might seem like that's radical, but think about it. A Christian is a person. Jesus came to make disciples, which are people. So a nation, or a business, or a university is Christian only to the extent that the people within that nation, within that business, follow Jesus. The emphasis is on us as people and how we live it. Now that means we've got to express a lot of grace towards one another, right? Because we're imperfect in our following. We don't do it well. And we can't even cram other Christians into that identity. Christians are going to see things differently. And for good reason. Right? Christians are going to vote differently from one another. Some Christians will vote Republican. And some will vote Democrat. And some will vote Independent. All of them for Christian reasons. And it's okay. We need to come to a point where we're not distracted by silly discussions where we expect people in government to somehow create a Christian government. That we expect them to create a Christian nation or to champion our one or two Christian issues. Folks, we're following Jesus. What Jesus came to do is to make Christians, people, followers, disciples of Jesus. And so it's on us to act like that and live in that way. Are we still breathing okay? We're doing all right? This is hard, right? It's, it'll probably have your wheels spinning. And I don't want to press it too far. But whenever you see Christian being used as an adjective, let that make you think, wait a second, Christian is an adjective. It's a noun. It's something I am. It's a verb. It's something I do. It's not just a modifier. Something to throw on and sprinkle along the top. It is all. At First Christian, we are first and foremost followers of Jesus. We are seeking to get in line behind Him. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. We are going to press forward in following Jesus. Being with Jesus. Doing the things Jesus did. Saying the things Jesus said. Going where Jesus leads us. And the intent, the outcome, is amazing. So that you and I can in imperfect ways become like Jesus. It's His work. We're surrendering to His work in our lives. One thing I've kept back from you that I haven't said all along in this series of drop the question. These questions that aren't asked, like, where are we going? 
where's the harvest? And why are you here? And who me? Have you noticed something about these questions? Not only are they not asked, but they're all addressed to Jesus. They're all addressed to the great Lord and Master. Sneakily, we're trying to follow Jesus. Because we're not so much worried how many followers we have behind us on social media. We are worried about the one person that we are following. We are following Jesus, who is leading us into the presence of God. So, rather than worrying about our followers, let's worry about being a follower who's becoming like Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. God, You are such a good God. You challenge us. Make us think about things in new ways. Father, I thank You for the ways that You've really challenged me this week. Forced me to come to my senses by looking at this old story. Father, would You help each one of us as we try to become more and more like the Master. More and more like Jesus. Help us to become less and less concerned about the clatter and about the noise of people who are not interested in following you, who don't show it by their lives or deeds. But help us just not to worry about that. Help us instead to be people who will follow you. We thank you for Jesus. And it is in his name that we live and pray and call upon your name. Amen.